Well, we started teaching uh, three, four weeks ago on the seven Achilles heels of our church. And that is the seven major sins. Me and uh, somebody else were joking only halfway about what the Catholics call the seven deadly sins. And honestly, like five of ours are the part of the seven deadly sins because sins are sins. You know, I, I'm not one that, that dogs the Catholics. I believe there are some genuinely born again Catholics because uh, I understand every denomination, every group has weirdos, charismatics, reformed, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist. Everybody's got a gaggle that aren't going to make heaven. And then everybody's got a group that are. And there are some genuinely born-again Catholics, and they've got some sound doctrine. They've got some goofy doctrine. But the Catholics worked out a long time ago the seven deadly sins, gluttony, pride, greed. Sound familiar? Yeah. So it, we're calling it the seven mountains or the seven Achilles heel, Achilles heel of our church. There'd be a lot of overlap with almost any church in America. One of the biggest ones, the reason we started with it, is excuses. Uh, lust is another one. Every church is going to deal with lust. Every church is going to deal with a little bit of laziness. In America, every church is going to do with gluttony. We're going to deal with that in a couple weeks. So it seems like the Lord wanted us to focus on these. And I kind of have a, a, an assignment from the Lord to spend only one sermon on each of these seven heels, Achilles heels, and that's all you get. But we're making PowerPoints out of each one, and that is not a, it takes a lot of time to do. And that way you get all the scriptures and we just pack it like sausage at the factory, man. You're getting everything in that sausage and you, it's all you need. There's vegetables and fruit in there too. It's like special kind of sausage. It's a whole meal, but you get one message and that's your message. And some of you have told me I need all seven. Well, so be it. You get all seven of them and just listen to them over and over and over again. There'll be some that on the second listening to don't hit you as hard. There'll be others you, on the second listening to it just absolutely just shreds you. And that's because there's issues in your life. Wherever the sandpaper is pulling off sand is where you're not smooth yet. So buckle up because today we're talking about pride and stubbornness, which is like shooting fish in a barrel because we all deal with it. So let's, let's throw this up here, Ben. Let's walk through this. Let's gonna, and while we're there, go to Ezekiel chapter 28. We want to start there. We're going to talk about beating stubbornness and pride. Ezekiel chapter 28 Verse 11, this is the story about Lucifer. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. This will be the only verse we turn to in our Bible today to look at. We will quote a lot of other verses and look at a lot of other verses, but they will be on our PowerPoint. I don't usually do PowerPoints, but it seems to be a fitting technique for this season of Sunday mornings. Some of you have already requested the PowerPoint. We can email it to you. That's no problem at all. Um, and maybe we can get Hannah or Mr. AJ the PowerPoint so you can contact them. If you can't get a hold of me, we'll get them to you. Moreover, verse 11, the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, let's just stop here for a second. When he's talking about the king of Tyrus and all of a sudden we're in the garden of Eden, we're talking about a principality. We're not talking about a man. And by principality, we're dealing with a spiritual stronghold here. We know there's kings and princes in the spirit realm. And this was obviously the king of Tyrus, but the king of Tyrus had a name. In this case, it's Lucifer. We know in the Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that Lucifer had moved his headquarters to Thyatira, and that was where Lucifer was now ruling over. He was no longer the king of Tyrus or Tyre. He's now the king in what is now Asia Minor, Turkey. I don't know why he moves his kingdom around or his seat, but he surely does. Sometimes I think it's set over Washington, D.C. If you want to, he'll set it up in your house, but don't do that. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, this is how we know we just went from talking about a man to talking about a principality. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabres and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So we, we know that this is, this is Lucifer. This is the angelic anointed cherub that covereth. He was a worship leader. We see that represented by uh, instruments that are prepared in him from the day he was created. My interpretation on the precious stones being your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold, these always seem to represent people or, or people you're leading. The high priest 
in the days of Israel and Moses, he wore a, a breastplate that have a, had a stone for each of the 12 tribes. We've pointed out that mineralogically speaking, all of these stones are hard enough to take a polish, so they're not soft. They're not immature. They don't fall apart. They can be polished. And it speaks to us that he was leading. He had these folks as his covering. He had a, a leading that he was able to guide. He obviously would have led, we believe, he led the angels in worship of Jehovah God. You are the anointed cherub that covereth. That's an angel. That's how we know this is not a king of Tyre or Tyrus. You're the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. You were upon the, mount, the holy mountain of God, and you walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of your merchandise, or the abundance of your abilities, you have filled yourself, or they filled thee with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, thou that uh, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17, you were, uh, thou, thine heart was lifted up with beauty, or because of your beauty. Modern translation says your heart was filled with pride. And we'll stop there. Your heart was filled with pride. I want to begin with that text because we see that Satan is the originator or the creator of pride. And pride is a sin that begins in the heart. Pride is a sin that begins in the heart and it manifests countless of different ways. We'll look at this verse later, but Romans 12 tells us it's all about thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Pride is tied to how you think. And we'll look at how to beat that. It's just simply renewing the mind. Satan invented pride, and it was because he was so perfect. And if his perfection did not exempt him from falling into this sin, you and I who are not perfect, who have a sin nature and a wicked heart, we don't stand a chance unless we walk with God and surround ourselves with godly counsel and checks and balances and loved ones who can say, look, you're getting a little haughty there. Come on down a little bit. Amen. Some, no matter how great you think you are, there's always somebody greater than you. No matter how talented, how anointed, how smart you are, there's always somebody smarter than you. I'm, I just finished up a big section in our new book about the scientific revolution and studying all of these men that were called polymaths. That just means you're a master at multiple things. These were the revolutionaries of science as we know it. The founders of calculus and motion and physics. And they did this 500 years ago with parchment and quill pen. And no matter how smart you think you are because you can code, these guys crack the cosmos by candlelight with a quill pen. And you think you're smart? You'll die. Nobody will talk about you. We still study these men's writings. And most of these men wrote more heavily on theology than they did astronomy or physics or mathematics or chemistry. They were theologians first and foremost. No matter how smart you think you are, there's always somebody way more smarter than you. And he probably wore puffy pants and a big hat with a feather coming out of the top of it. <laughs> Pride manifests itself as thinking better of yourself than you ought. Now, the other ditch is you don't think enough of yourself, and that's in, uh, low self-esteem. That's one of our other issues we'll deal with in a few weeks. So let us look at pride, but before we get into this, let me throw another kind of a notion out there at you. We got to see here. Balance. Let me give you the balance. This is a pigeon. This is a stupid animal. Now you can train pigeons, obviously, as carriers, and there's actually whole blogs on pigeon racing. I kid you not with all of its terms and trappings, and trappings is a pigeon racing term. In biology, and I'm not a biologist, some of you are, so just let me make a few mistakes if I'm not accurate. In the realm of the animal kingdom, you have animals that have stereoscopic vision because they're predators and they need to be able to see in 3D, and then you have basically what are called herbivores that don't need 3D vision, so their eyes are not stereoscopic. Now, what makes eyes stereoscopic is that they're set together in the front of your head. 
I had to deal with this when I taught geology and we did stereoscopic imaging on maps and high altitude maps and you do stereoscopes to look down and you could see high altitude photography in 3D but only because your eyes were looking at two separate things and made it a three-dimensional image. I used to always have to give the, if it's not working for you, they'd say, ah, Mr. Christopher, it's not working for me. Do you have two eyes? Yes, then it should work for you. If you don't, if you have a glass eye, you can't see out of one eye, it won't work. Stereoscopic vision is you have both eyes and you can see in three dimensions. That allows you to be a predatory, predatory animal. Pigeons are not predatorial. They are stupid animals. They hang out with grandma in Central Park and eat her popcorn. Their eyes are set on either side of their head. And, you know, if you want to argue evolution, which I don't believe in, you could say it's because they need to be able to see animals coming to eat them from both sides. But you can see with this pigeon, you all know the animals, chickens are this way. They have to look like this. Is that popcorn? And then they go to pecking, and they still miss it half a dozen times before they find it. Now, this is a raptor. This is actually a falcon. You can see he has stereoscopic vision because his eyes are set in the front of his head. These animals catch cats. It's awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> the purpose of this is that as Christians, we usually are like the dumb pigeon. We have an eye set on one side or the other, and we can only focus on the vision coming into that eye at once. So we're either tracking into this ditch. Ooh, look, ditch, 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 ditch. Or, ooh, haven't looked over here in a while. Ditch, 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 ditch. And if you can walk circumspectly and be balanced, you'll have stereoscopic vision. You can see clearly three dimensions. You're not going to get hung up on the left hand or the right. You'll be able to see quite clearly down the road. Now, this is a falcon because it's one of the coolest pictures I could find. The peregrine falcon is probably the coolest of the raptors. It can nosedive at 240 miles an hour to take out a cat, your cat. Pigeons might do 60 miles an hour with a stiff wind if they're going for grandma's popcorn. Let me give you another dumb animal, a goat. Once again, an eye on either side of the head because it is a herbivore. Oh, actually, it's a trash compactor. All these things are good for is eating everything, Billy Boy, 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 even the railroad tracks from the old cartoon. So again, one of the biological reasons for having an eye on either side of your head like a cow or a horse is so that you can run when you see danger coming from either perspective. Falcons don't have that. Predatory animals, canines don't have that because nothing ever comes up on them. They are the king of the jungle. So this is a dumb animal, a goat. God doesn't even like them. He's going to separate them and send them to hell. There you go. There's a high uh, apex animal, the king of the jungle, though you don't ever see them in the jungle. They live on the Serengeti. Uh, they have their eyes set in the front of the head because they're predators. They can see things very clearly. Again, with the goat, is that trash? Is that trash? Is that trash? Is that, is that trash? Is that edible? Doesn't matter. I'm going to eat it. And he eats it. Wait, what? what's that? What's that? What's that? And it comes over here because he thinks he sees something over. This is Christians going from one ditch to the other. And because you go from one ditch to the other, how much of your life is wasted going side to side laterally rather than straightforward in the things of God? You got to get your head out of the ditch. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to handle pastoring in this region because this is a religious region and religion loves ditches. I can say something once. Half of you won't hear it. The other half will be in an altar of idolatrous worship with it next week. And as I said it once, and I appreciate that quick response, but I said it once. I didn't say go get in the ditch and make an idol to it. And so we've got to ask the Lord to give us stereoscopic vision. That means we can see scopic in vision or in stereo together in harmony. And that you, by the way, are a predatorial animal. doesn't matter what the tree huggers say. You have canines and you have 3D vision because you're supposed to eat things and kill it. Remember the Lord said, arise, Peter, kill and eat. If I went to a PETA meeting, I would bring that banner, Arise, Peter, Kill, and Eat. You have canine teeth, that's for tearing flesh, and you got stereoscopic vision, that's so you can hunt and kill.
Amen. Once again, academia and progressive doctrine is lunacy. Tofu turkey is not turkey. Tofu turkey will give you two black eyes because you should be beat up for eating a tofu turkey. <laughs> Pride defined <laughs> a high or inordinate opinion of one's own importance or superiority. A high, these are secular definitions. A high or inordinate opinion of one's own importance or superiority. Here's where we don't want to go billy goat. You are important, but it's only because Jesus died for you. And you might be important to your family, and that's great. And you might be important to your boss, and you should be. But we understand pride is inordinate. It's an unbalanced estimation of yourself. It's you feeling superior. And, of course, directly tied to pride is this notion of arrogance. Arrogance is an offensive display of superiority or self-importance. And even our English recognizes there's a pride of the heart that nobody can pick up on. And then when you display it, we call that different. That's arrogance, haughty, high-minded. There is a good pride. That is not today's subject, little billy goat. <laughs> we want to stay down the middle of the road here and focus on detrimental pride. We'll send you the PowerPoints. Just, just listen, write down what God speaks to you. You don't have to write down everything. There's, there's about 25 of these slides and about four points each. I would rather you listen and then write down what's not up there, unless the Lord's just really dealing with you on it. Stubbornness defined, because we're talking about pride and stubbornness. Stubbornness is firmly or obstinately adhering to one's purpose or opinion. Firmly or obstinately adhering to one's own purpose or opinion. You can just be stubborn over your opinion, just dogmatic about it. You can be stubborn over a doctrine, and, you, and there are doctrines we should be stubborn over, but there's a lot of stuff we ought to just if we got 15 verses that don't jive with our doctrine, we don't need to be stubborn over that doctrine. Fixed or set in purpose or opinion. Notice it keeps ringing up opinion. Like this isn't even really important. Just your opinion. Uh, this seems to be tied to something that's not concrete. Difficult to manage. Let that never be a church member's testimony. Let that never be a department head's testimony. May that never be your testimony on your job or even in your household. The reason we spank and discipline our children is because they're obstinate and we need to break them of that difficulty in management. You shouldn't be difficult to manage. Servants, which is what we're called to be, are not difficult to manage. They don't chase their own opinion. They might have one, but they don't chase it. Characterized by inflexible persistence or an unyielding attitude. That's stubbornness. Inflexible persistence or an unyielding attitude. We call it dogmatious, just dogmatic, just set in concrete. You're not going to move me. You're not going to convince me. God can't even work with those people. That is also the definition of religion in the negative sense. Just like Brother Hagin would say, thoroughly mixed like concrete, thoroughly mixed and well set. You're not going to go anywhere. There is good stubbornness. That is not today's subject, pigeon. There's a stubbornness you need to have if you're going to finish your race. There's a stubbornness you need to have if you're going to be a godly father or a godly wife. There's a stubbornness you need to have in the last days to stand for Christ. That's not the subject of today. And if we can pull our little billy goat eyes forward, I think we can catch that and proceed forward now with the sin that is pride and stubbornness. So pride defined. Let's look at a lot of the different just ways to address it. Pride manifests in many different ways. So these are just my talking points here. We get that. Not everybody manifests pride in the same way. Pride can often be seen in stubbornness. That's why we link these two together. When you are stubborn, you're often prideful. And prideful people are often stubborn. Stubbornness is a manifestation of pride. You can't let anybody help you. In fact, that's our next point. Stubborn people refuse to get help, and this is pride. And when it comes to medical stuff, men are the worst about this. And I think the reason women are more open to it because of their lady parts and they are always having to go just for regular OBGYN stuff. And a man can go, it's not uncommon to find a man that's gone 30 years without seeing a doctor. That's pride. That's pride. And often those men come up with something that is too late to fix and we get to bury them early. 
because of stubborn pride. It was about eight years ago the Lord dealt with me to make an annual. I was, eight years ago I was 37. I was healthy. I'm still healthy. And the Lord dealt with me to see my, my physician and have an annual checkup. And when the Lord deals with you about that, you don't play games with that. Stubborn people are too prideful to get help. And so what they do is they hide things because of their pride. They hide things because they, they think they should know better, should be better, and so they suffer worse. Stubborn people suffer more than they ought, and that's pride. Pride can be seen in avoiding sources of correction or hiding in the shadows. Just avoiding sources of help, avoiding people who can speak into your life, avoiding the doctor, avoiding anybody who might be able to render a reason better than yours. We don't advance in life reinventing the will on our own. We advance in life by getting everybody around us to contribute to our life, everybody we trust anyway. You should always go to people smarter than you. And like we said, somebody 500 years ago was smarter than you. And they probably knew a little bit more in some areas. So we want to make sure we are not avoiding sources of correction or hiding in the shadows. Uh, you know, Folks will skip church because they don't want to be confronted. Folks will avoid people because they don't want to be confronted. Folks will will not talk or bring up an issue because they don't want to be confronted. This is all pride. Like we said um, uh, in one of our other lessons, the proverb that says a, a fool is more wise in their own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. Why would you not want to get around people that can judge you? Uh, actually, let me turn to a verse now that comes to me. Proverbs 18. This is not in my notes, but turn there because it just, it just came to me. Just hearken to me. Let me show you another aspect of pride that's not in our PowerPoint. Proverbs 18. Let me see what I can. Proverbs chapter 18. We'll pull it up in the NI, uh, NLT. Verse 1 says, Through desire, I'm in the King James, Proverbs 18.1, Through desire... A man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. One of my translations, the Amplified, says, He who willfully separates and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire and pretext, or that means to hide, to break out against all wise and sound judgment. Prideful people withdraw from counsel to pursue what they want anyway. Prideful people withdraw from wise counsel. They hide their agenda. They hide their desires. They play the game because they want what they want, and they already know within themselves that what they want is not right, which is why they hide what they want. That's pride. That's dangerous. All your decisions, if they're of God, they ought to be brought before a mom, a dad, a, a husband, a wife, a parent. If you got to take it higher, take it to your boss. Take it to elders, take it to deacons, take it to the pastor. If we're righteous, there's nothing we do that should be able to be hidden. But this verse says, through desire, or a, a, people will selfishly separate themselves to seek what they want, and they'll use it as a pretext to lash out against all wisdom that would stop them. That is a prideful and stubborn person. Don't be that way. It's not a safe place to be. You'll get burned over and over and over again. All right, let's move on. Pride can be demonstrated as know-it-allism. That we understand. These are just different ways pride manifests. Some folks are just know-it-alls. There's, there's always a one-upmanship of what I know and what you don't know. I, you sit around, listen to people talk, and somebody's always got to have the bigger story. Or somebody's always got to have the answer. The wonderful, the, one of the few wonderful things about smartphones is now everybody has the answer because of the Google. And the Google can make everybody a know-it-all. But still, there's this attitude of know-it-allism. And it starts to come out in children when they're three and four. And a good parent will see that and say, sweetie, we don't want you to be a know-it-all. What's that, daddy? You don't have to tell everybody everything you know. Nobody cares, sweetie. You have to train children not to be know-it-alls. Pride is demonstrated by those who are overly critical. Those who are overly critical, that's another way of manifesting know-it-allism. You've always got something negative to say about everybody. And so when you, when you come into a room, you don't see the positive. You come into the room, and all you can see is, I don't like how she's dressed, and those shoes look like they're ratty. And did you see the way she looked at her husband? Did you see the way he looked at his wife? Did you see what the food table's like? That's not a standard of excellence. That, that's a hateful, spiteful, miserable person, but it's pride. 
we see it in the ministry. We call them heresy hunters. They're, what is the modern term I just read? They call it internet discernment ministries. What this is, is basically a blog site that scours Christian websites looking for doctrine they don't agree with so they can just run them down and get clicks to make money. But they call it, they church it up, they repackage it, and it's called Internet Discernment Ministries. And I even read, because I visit them, I even read one the other day, it says, this was the early days, they're talking about another blogger, this was in the early days of Internet Discernment Ministry, you know, like 10 years ago, it was the early days, because this is such a pioneering work of God. <laughs> when you think your job is to criticize and critique every denomination out there but yours, I'm all up for critique, but start with yourself. Pull the, the beam out of your own face, and then maybe you can see clearly in other churches. And once you get done pulling the beam out of your own face, you don't really care about everybody else's splinters because we all got them. Some people are just overly critical. There's nothing wrong with being critical. That's how we raise our children. But not to be hatefully, spitefully critical, a, a, a standard that can never be met, it's one thing to say, look, that's wrong, but let me show you how to do it right so we can be better. Something else to say, that's wrong and you're worthless for it. That's pride. It's pride. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. It's a good quote. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. It's got, got Satan kicked out of heaven, didn't it? A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Very profound quote from a tremendous theologian. Pride is seen in attention hogs, folks who just have to be the life of the party, people that have to be the center of attention. They have to always talk about what they've got. They're, they're just desperate for attention. And probably that's a daddy issue where they were starved by daddy, and so now they, they only feel accepted or affirmed if people are looking at them. They, these kind of folks spend a lot of time on social media looking for affirmation. But attention hogs, that's a pride. You've got to make everything about you. When everything is about you, that's pride. My daddy would harp on me and say, boy, this world don't revolve around you. And I didn't ever know what that meant. I mean, because he's just chewing me out for being in pride over something. I like, yeah. Yeah, I know that. It revolves around the sun. I saw the little solar system. and you know, The world revolves around the sun, and there's Jupiter, and there's Saturn. What does that even mean? I don't know how old I was before I realized that what he's saying is I was so selfish, I thought everything was about me. And you can judge yourself on that when you walk into a conversation, and it always has to be about you, 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 you. There are some people my wife will talk to, or some of you will talk to, I said, who are you listening to? Because you weren't talking to them. You were listening to them. When you're listening to somebody, you're not having a conversation. You don't even have a friendship. You're just listening to them. Who, that's talk radio called you? That is an inadvertent selfishness. Because it's not about you. There's nothing wrong with discussing you, but honestly, one of the old English terms for gentlemen is someone who makes everybody else feel welcome and important. And you get on the phone, and it's all you, 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 you. Okay, love, you got to go. And all we did was talk about you? That's selfish. It's pride. Did I hear the pigeon coo? This doesn't mean you don't get on the phone and talk about some of your things. can already see the pigeon eyeballing the popcorn on the left side of the church. I'm never talking on the phone again. Be a peregrine falcon. Be a peregrine falcon. <laughs> Keep it centered. Pride is seen in the desire to show off. Men mostly are bad about this. We like to show off. We like to flex our muscles, show off our abilities. But kids do it. That's part of growing up. Is kids saying, look at me, daddy. Look at me, daddy. And that's them seeking affirmation. I, I almost believe it seems to me that if you don't get enough of that from your parents growing up, you grow up looking for it from idiots. And that usually gets you in the hospital. And like the redneck, the, the last famous words of the redneck was, watch this. He's saying, watch this, because daddy wouldn't watch this when it was safe. You see that lion? Watch this. You see that stick of dynamite? Watch this. See that bridge? Watch this. See that boulder? Watch this. 
If you don't have good parenting, you may end up in pride always trying to show off. And everybody can always see right through it. And no matter what you show off, whatever you demonstrate to get attention, there's always somebody better. And there's probably 17 million TikTok videos showing you how to do it better. So what is your life? Your life is but one TikTok video. That's pride. Do you not see how much social media has made the worst of you? Because you're doing everything I'm preaching against, but you're putting it on social media to find acceptance and value. And if you don't get enough hearts, likes, or thumbs, you take it down because you find devalue in that. Pride. Showing off. You show off enough, you're going to end up in the hospital. I, well, you know, one proverb says, let another man praise you and not you yourself. That's the solution to that. Pride is seen in the vanity of appearance. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to look nice, and we want you to look nice, and you want to look nice, but don't get in pride over it. So here's, here's the, don't get in the pigeon vision. It's okay to look nice. It's okay to be in shape. It's good to dress up. It's good to have a, an excellence and a good pride about how you carry yourself because we don't want you looking like Howard Hughes in a, in a bad slump week when your nails are grown out like you belong in Ripley's Aquarium or something and you got this beard. We don't want you looking like you just crawled out of some ratty trailer on the backside of DeKalb County. We want excellence, but that doesn't mean you get in pride over it because no matter how sharp you look, somebody's going to look sharper. So there's the balance. But there can be pride in how you look. Pride is seen in the vanity of appearance. Social media brings the worst out of that. I, I'm amazed at the technology you can get in free apps to change everything about you. I've watched so many little tutorials like, that's a free app? I can make myself a totally different looking person. And if you're dating me on this dating app, you don't even know who you're looking at. Change my complexion. I can get myself freck, uh, freckles. I can grow my beard, strengthen my jawline just by tapping things. And it just, the artificial intelligence, it has to be artificial because the person who's using it has no intelligence. <laughs> so you get artificial intelligence. Nothing wrong with looking your best, but that's not your value. I think we understand that. Pride is refusing to say, I'm sorry. Jump off of looks and look at marriage now. When you can't say, I'm sorry, that's pride. If you're wrong, say you're wrong. Yesterday, I was getting in the car, the truck with Bud Bud, my three-year-old, and I was helping him in. I, I poked him. I just somehow jabbed him accidentally, and I got in the truck, and he said, Daddy, you poked me. I said, okay. He said, now you tell me you're sorry. What's that? Now you say, I sorry. Now you say, I sorry to me. Okay, son, I'm sorry. You forgive me? I forgive you. But it's like, you hurt me, and this is how we do it in my house, daddy. You hurt me. Now, it's, now what you do is you say, I sorry to me. I'm sorry, son. You ought to be good at saying, I'm sorry. If you're a human, you're going to have to be good at it because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to violate stuff. You're going to hurt people's feelings. Only pride can't say that and be genuine. Here's a quote from uh, John Ruskin, uh, Victorian era philosopher, geologist. He was an art critic, great uh, Victorian era British uh, mentalist. It is better to lose your pride with someone you love rather than to lose that someone you love with your useless pride. That's a really good quote. I don't know if he's a Christian. He was a philosopher, 19th century Victorian think tank. He wrote a lot. He wrote on geology and a lot of science, chemistry. It is better to lose your pride with someone you love rather than to lose that someone you love with your useless pride. All the married folks said, yeah. amen. Pride is in the one-upmanship of possessions, accomplishments, wealth, or accolades. It can become a one-upmanship, always trying to outdo each other. And unless you think preachers are exempt from this. One of the worst parts of ministry is being friends with preachers, and it's always a competition. And I have those relationships. It irritates me. I don't know why it has to be that way, but we can sit down and have dinner with a group of preachers, and you can see pride coming out of preachers. And we're trying to one-upmanship. And how much money you got in savings? I've never been asked that, but a friend of mine was asked that by another, another member. Hey, how much money you got over there at your church? Well, uh, number one, it's none of your business. And number two, why does it even matter? And so my friend told him, he, and the other guy had to one-up him. Well, man, I got twice that. What? Well, praise God, why don't you give me some? Why are you hoarding it? 
I mean, are you calling to see if I need some? Are you going to give me some? What's, what, why, are we, why are we in this competition? There's nothing but pride there. I see it in, in missionary circles. How many countries you been to? As many as God wanted me to go to. I remember years ago, Pastor Vaughn, um, I don't remember, he, somebody, he asked somebody, he was sitting in an airport, he asked somebody, how many, folk, how, many folks you, how many folks do you pastor? Pastor was just curious. And the man said, as many as will let me. Because there is, I can tell you as a preacher running in circles, there is a competition on preachers to see how big your church can be. And I guarantee that's an ego trip, it's pride, and it becomes the driving force of many preachers. Not the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Scriptures. The next lunch I have with the preacher, that's my motive. So I can say, we're running a thousand. But just because you got a thousand sets of eyes and a thousand rumps in your chairs doesn't mean you're pastoring anybody. So the answer is brilliant. It's the wisdom of Solomon. How many of you pastor over there? As many as will let me. How many attend? I don't know. They're not all faithful. They come and go. But I pastor as many as will let me. We see this in the ministry. And I know you see it wherever you're at in life too. Maybe with a sibling, maybe with a, uh, a, a cousin, maybe with a best friend, maybe your old friends from college. Pride is in the one-upmanship. It's in keeping up with the Joneses, as we say. Your neighbor buys an SUV, you got to buy an SUV. They get a pool, you got to get a pool. Uh, you ought to be thankful you don't live in a hoity-toity town where the whole culture is about money, 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 money. Cars, 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 cars. Country club, country club, country club. And there's nothing wrong with those, but that's not the essence of life. Pride, uh, pride can be loud and braggadocious, or it can be a subtle, haughty look. It isn't just, look at me, the loud, boisterous person in a restaurant. It can also be this hoity, arrogant look. <laughs> One of my favorite stories about pride when my brother got married, I don't know, 16 years ago, it was 2004. It was December 2004. I was in Bible school, and my brother and my sister-in-law met on a Carnival cruise ship because they worked for Carnival, and so they wanted to get married in the Bahamas. So they've got all the families together, so we went on this cruise in the middle of winter down to the Bahamas so they could get married on the beach. Now, they had already gotten married at the Justice of the Peace, but they wanted to do kind of a sacred little sentimental thing in the Bahamas where they, their ships used to dock a lot. So we're on the cruise ship, and it's a bunch of families. Her family's all Canadian, which was awesome, and our family's all Southern American, which is not South America, but Southern America, which was awesome. And it was a lot of fun. And if you've ever been on a cruise... They've got all sorts of shows, magic shows, dance shows, plays. You go to the, um, the theaters and you can do all sorts of shows. So there was this, uh, like a juggling, it was almost like a Cirque du Soleil act. And there was these husband and wife contortionist act where this girl could fold in half and do crazy stuff and her husband could hold her up. And it just, you know, they look like Eastern European types, if you know what I'm talking about. No body fat, little gymnast couple. And... I remember the last thing she did is she bit onto this mouth guard and then she lifted her body and brought it over her body backwards like a scorpion. And the only thing she was hanging on to was this mouthpiece while her whole body is contorted over her like a scorpion and she's got her hands out. And I remember getting so tickled because we were going through rough seas and the ship was tossing and it was really making it extra hard for her. I thought, well, great. You know, you're like a circus clown or something. That's your thing. Well, the next day, on the ship, I see her and her husband come through where the common peoples are. And mind you, they just live on the ship to entertain us. And she probably had on the highest, most expensive stuff you've ever seen. She, she looked like she was going through downtown Paris at a fashion show. This like white leather trench coat with the collar up, big old Dolce Gabbana glasses with a little Fendi handbag just coming through there. The rest of us are in Bermuda shorts and tank tops and flip flops and there's fat Americans and we're just, and it's raining outside and she just comes through there like it's a pair. And the, the pride exuding off of this woman, I'm like, we're a bunch of fat, white tourists. We don't care who you are. Hey, monkey, get back in that theater and entertain us again. Show us more tricks. We don't care about your handbag. Show us more tricks. That's the subtle, haughty look. Good for her that she's spending money on expensive stuff. But look, girl, I got two outfits for this week-long cruise. 
and I'm still on the first one, and we go home tomorrow. <laughs> and it's raining outside, and you got on $1,000 sunglasses. That was just, I've, I've never seen pride just waft off of somebody like that. And there was her little husband behind her walking like that. Emily Bronte, writer of uh, Rothering Heights, another great uh, philosopher and thinker, she said, proud people breed sad sorrows for themselves. I like that. That's a profound little quote. Proud people breed. That means it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. Emily Bronte, author of Wuthering Heights, famous novel, Victorian era. Proud people breed sad sorrows for themselves. Pride is the root of offense. You only ever get offended because of pride. And whatever you find offensive has hit that nerve. Dr. Barclay, offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. What is it that offends you? What, what gets your goat? Speaking of our goat, that's a horse racing thing. Goats calm down horses. So in the horse racing days, if you want to back it up because some of you don't know what I'm talking about. When you race horses, Kentucky Derby being not far from here to the north, horses get nervous and they're kept in stalls and barns. And when a horse is nervous because they can feel the energy in the air, it exhausts the horse and the horse won't perform as well. But they have found, farmers know, you put a goat in the stall with a horse, it calms the horse down. So one of the old tricks is to go at night and steal the goat. And now the horse is nervous all day long. So a nervous Nelly, a Nelly's a horse, a nervous Nelly is someone without their goat. So that birthed the Southern expression, who got your goat? Why are you so freaking out? Why are you so, where's your peace? So, offense is nothing but a violation of personal pride. What gets your goat? What steals your peace? What offends you? Because that's where there's pride. Pride manifests as shame. If you're humble, you can't be ashamed. They once, a famous expression is you can't fall off your knees. So when you're humble, you can't be humiliated. Humiliation is forced humility. And the higher you are in pride, the harder the fall into humiliation. When you're humble, there is no shame. You know, some of us, I think all of us, if we were to all of a sudden our clothes be ripped from us, we'd all be horribly embarrassed and ashamed. And that's a healthy embarrassment and shame because there's a human dignity to nakedness that's built in the Bible. But there's some people, they don't have any pride in that at all. They don't, they streak a football game, streak a soccer match, streak the college campus, streak Walmart. Got no pride, got no shame, got no humiliation because they got no ethics. <laughs> but what humiliates you? Because there's a, there's a pride there. What brings you shame? There's a pride there, and you've got to get to the root of it. Pride and stubbornness are attitudes of the heart, partially learned and partially inherited through culture and sin nature. Pride and stubbornness, they're, they're attitudes of the heart, but most of them are learned. You learn to be offended at things. You learn in what you should take pride in. You learn at what is a violation, and you should be offended at the whole social justice thing right now, political correctness, is overhauling this whole value system. And that we don't even know what to say anymore because people are being taught to be offended at things that are not significant. I was playing with my son this morning. We were laying on the couch, and, and he's like, Dad, you make a funny face. So we're making funny faces. And he pulled his eyes backwards like a Chinese person, an Asian. And I thought, he's doing that out of total innocence, but if I were to take a picture of his funny faces... You know, he's squishing his cheeks together. He's pulling his mouth apart. He's making, you know, dog face, squishy face, Chinese face. If I were to post that in innocence, I'd be reported to Facebook and our social media overlords would block me for being a racist. My three-year-old making silly faces while sitting on me on my couch would be deemed racist. But you have to be taught that that's racist. And therefore, to be offended at it, we violated a pride you had to learn off of social media. Everything is about training your heart. The devil knows it. The propagandists know it. 
Christians don't know it, and they don't know their Bible either. Therefore, you're at the whims of the day we live in. Cultural pride. Um, yeah. In our household, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am are requisites. It violates me. It doesn't offend me, because it's, it's, but it violates me to hear your kids say, yeah, and what? Especially when they're in high school. It means you haven't trained them. And you've, you've shut doors for their life already with yeah and what and uh-huh. Now, you didn't train them because you were lazy. And so now they're, they're going to have, a, it gives your kids extra horsepower to be able to say yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am, and thank you, and please. That opens up so many more doors. And if, there's, if they're equal in everything else to their competitor, but they say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, they'll get it, and the other one won't. You train that. And it becomes an important thing. It doesn't offend me to hear your kids say, yeah, and what, and uh-huh. I just think, boy, your parents did not help you. What God says about pride. Here's Andrew Murray, missionary. He was a Scottish kid, but he was born in South Africa 100 years ago. I guess we're doing a lot of Victorian stuff. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Just remember, if you have pride, you have a little bit of Satan in you. You got pride? You and Satan have a lot in common. Of course, that's all of us. God help us. That's all of us. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Proverbs 16, 5 says, anyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That would be every one of us any given bad moment. And that's why Jeremiah 17 tells us our heart is desperately wicked and incurably sick. Lord, I'm working on it. Lord, I'm treating it. Lord, forgive me. Lord, that was prideful. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll go tell my wife I'm sorry. I'll go tell my husband I'm sorry. I'll go repent to my coworker. Lord, please. I don't want to be an abomination to you. It's detestable. It makes God want to wretch. Luke 151, he hath shown strength with his arm. His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. God scatters the proud. And notice the proud pride becomes the imagination of your heart. Whatever you're thinking on, whatever you're dwelling on, whatever you're believing in, that builds pride. Not the good kind, but the kind that must be cast down and rejected. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of the hearts. One translation says he's scattered the proud in their own conceit. That's where we get the term conceited. A conceited person has these vain imaginations of their grandeur. <laughs> Don't forget, Cookful is a little pond. It's easy to be a big fish in a little pond. But God has you here for a purpose. Don't get cocky. Because if not, this pond will affect you more than you'll affect it. And if you can't be a little pond, you don't stand a chance in Nashville or Atlanta or D.C. or wherever God calls you. Psalm 101.5, New Living Translation. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit. And pride is how God views pride. He will not endure it. He won't tolerate it. He resists the proud. So the second you and I get proud, prideful, he resists us. And we, we can tell because life isn't well. We feel icky. Something's not right. And if you go through the cycle of investigating where and why he's resisting you enough, you begin to instantly recognize it before he has to lift that hand and resist you. Lord, I can tell it. I'm getting arrogant. I can't say I'm sorry. can't repent. Uh, I'm thinking too haughty of myself. If you'll listen to your heart, you'll hear your attitude. You'll understand why you do everything you ever do anywhere you go. You'll know why you turned the radio up loud when you just did. Was it to hear better? Or was it because you wanted to impress the car next to you? You'll know why you parked where you did. Was it to be next to that girl you saw pour her car into the parking lot? And you want to be close to her to take another look? You'll know exactly why you bought that. You'll know exactly why you said that. If you'll listen, and God wants you to listen to the motive of your heart to see how much of what we're doing is motivated by selfish pride. Because I think we'll be shocked to see how much is. Psalm uh, 10.4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Pride keeps you from seeking God because when you seek God, the first thing he'll deal with is your pride. You won't be able to draw closer to God until you obey him and repent of that pride. 
I've many times, I can know I've got to go repent to Miss Amanda. I've said something. I need to go make it right. I cut her an attitude, and I'm trying to work it any way I can to go on with my life without having to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Let's get this right. And it just doesn't work. That's how stubbornness it, it just is. We don't have time to waste trying to figure a solution without getting honest with God. You've got to be quick to repent. You've got to be quick to humble yourself. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That tells us again, pride comes to, from how you think. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, what if the first thing is evil? Pride. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The first two things that are evil are pride and arrogancy. And the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. The first thing the fear of God hates is pride. You got to be able to see it in your life and hate it. Your arrogance, we've all got it. Pride of this, pride of that. And again, remember our pigeons. We don't want to get into one ditch or the other. There's a good pride to be had. And most of the things that we're getting into trouble for doing are not wrong, but the motive behind them is wrong. And that's why we're in trouble. Nothing wrong with being proud of your vehicle. Nothing wrong with being proud of your kids. Nothing wrong with being proud of the weight you've lost, but don't get into pride over it. Nothing wrong with being confident in how you sing, but don't get into pride over it. Nothing being wrong, uh, wrong in being proud of how you deliver a message or how you prayed for somebody or what God used you to do, but don't get into pride over it. Social media is just a, it's a, it's a cesspool mirror to see people's pride. They even invented this term about five years ago called the humble brag. The humble brag is where you humbly brag about yourself. Some of the best examples I saw was uh, some girl, she had a picture, she'd run into Clint Eastwood. So she took a selfie of, with her and Clint Eastwood. She said, oh my goodness, I ran into Clint Eastwood today and I just look so horrible. Nobody thinks about how bad you look when you're standing next to Clint Eastwood at Starbucks. Her whole thing was, look at me, I met Clint Eastwood. And she had to humbly brag. It's false humility. God sees through it. It's worse than real pride. False humility is such a facade. It's where you, you've learned the rules and you go through the motions of them, but there's no sincerity. That's worse than just being an arrogant dipstick. Just be an arrogant dipstick. Don't act like you got it all together and just humbly go through the motions. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10, by pride comes contention. So when you get into a fight in your marriage, pride is involved. When you get into a fight with your spouse, your siblings, excuse me, that's pride. You get into a fight with your coworkers, pride. Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So the opposite of pride is getting wisdom, well-advised. Get people around you. Don't isolate yourself. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty attitude. Pride goes before destruction. Don't be that. It's what the Bible says about all this. We're awfully quiet. I got nothing funny for you here. I just, it is what it is. It's just the Bible. Proverbs 28, 2, he that is a, is a, uh, he that is a pr uh, proud in heart stirs up strife, but he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. There are some people that are so addicted to agitation, they can't be part of a peaceful anything. They can't be part of a peaceful class team. They got to stir up strife. They can't be a part of a peaceful family reunion. They got to stir up strife. They can't be a part of a peaceful church. They got to sow discord and gossip. Some folks are just addicted to agitation. Preachers hate that. We don't want it. We want to cast them out. We send them on down the road. And a lot of these folks, they're in our community. They hop from church to church and they're just like the, 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 the henpeck. They're just the busy beaver that just, just goes around stirring up strife, looking for gossip, making a mess. Usually that's women. It can be men, but typically that's a woman's issue because of her nosiness, her busybodiness, her mouth. Social media has made it worse. But he that is proud in heart stirs up strife. That's not what we want to be. We want to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. You don't need to know what's going on. Quit being a busybody. Put your trust in the Lord. You'll prosper. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him demotion. 
Think about everything we've said so far about pride. If you won't get help, you get demotion. If you stir up strife, you get demotion. You think better of yourself than you ought to, you get demotion. Let another man praise you, not you yourself. If you're always praising yourself, the Bible says an arrogant man boasts himself like a gift. Uh, a man that boasts himself a gift, uh, a false gift is like a well without water and clouds without rain. So you can talk about how awesome you are, and then when we find out you're not good at that, we're not going to promote you, we're going to demote you. You, you. you sell yourself like you're this well, a water well, we expect water to come out of you. And if there's no water in you, we're going to bury you. Fill in the hole. We don't want to be that. Honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Honor will promote you. Just be honorable. Somebody asks, are you good at this? Ah, not really. I don't know if you want to trust me. You want to give it a try? I can give it a try. Some folks just say they're good at everything and they're not. That brings you demotion and a bad reputation. 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he falls into the condemnation of the devil. So novice is our Greek word neophyte, means newly planted one. You don't promote newly planted ones. You don't trust newly planted ones because they are very susceptible to pride. And in this case, it's talking about a new believer. When they're lifted up with pride, they'll fall into the condemnation or the trap of the devil. We don't trust new believers. We don't trust new members because you're newly planted. Even if you've been in church 20 years somewhere else, you come here, you're newly planted here. We got to prove you. You don't date neophytes. You don't fall in love with neophytes. You don't hire neophytes. You've got to prove people. Even the, the, the temp agency gives you a 90-day trial for minimum wage. Even minimum wage temp agencies have more wisdom than the church and most Christians. And at 90 days, the contract is, we don't like you, don't come back. Neophytes get into pride really easily. Judges 2.19, talking about Israel in the time of the judges, it says, And it came to pass when the judge was dead, or their leader, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They, caused, uh, they ceased not from their own doing, nor from their stubborn way. When they lost their pastor, their judge, their king, they went back but I want you to see, they ceased not from doing their own thing, that's pride, nor from their stubborn way. Now, the result of that is it delivered them over, to the, over into the hand of the oppressing vexers. A whole nation, because of their pride and stubbornness, were constantly delivered over into the hands of the oppressing vexers. Pride and stubbornness make sure your life is defined by oppression and vexation of soul. This is what the Bible says about it. My job is to give you the word so your heart says, I don't want to be prideful. I see the seven areas I am. I don't want it because I don't want to be defined by prideful or oppressive vexation. In this case, it was Midianites owning them, and the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Gerizites. I mean, constant oppressive vexation. That's what pride gets you. Stubbornness gets you that. Isaiah 48, 4, Because I knew that thou art obstinate, that's stubbornness. And thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow is brass. This is where we start to get the term stiff-necked. Stiff-necked refers to the beast of burden. When you put a yoke on an animal or you put reins on an animal and you cannot steer it, it's stiff-necked. You want to pull it this way, it won't go, it's a stiff neck. You put the yoke, of, uh, the, the yoke on the oxen and it doesn't want to go. It fights it. It's stiff-necked. It's all a figure of speech for stubbornness. God can't turn you where he wants you. You're going you're gonna to keep a stiff neck and go where you want. In fact, there's even a step up beyond that where it says, and you pull your shoulder from him. That's in another verse, I think, in Isaiah. They pulled their shoulder from me. They were not just stiff-necked, but they pulled their shoulder as if to say, get your hands off me, God, but you better bless me. No, no, no. Oppressive vexation is coming. You just wait. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Oh, the promises of God. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Ow! Oppressive vexation for you and your family. <laughs> Exodus 33, 5. For I will not go up in the midst of thee into the promised land, for you are a stiff-necked people. So when you get stiff-necked, God's not going with you. You're on your own. Not even to the promised land he said you could have. 
lest I consume you in the way. You're so stiff-necked, he says, I'm not giving you what, you, what I promised you. I'm not even going with you because if I go with you, I'll kill you. Every parent has said to their child, go to your room. I don't even want to look at you right now. So did Father God to a whole nation. I'm not going with you because if I do, I'll consume you because you're stiff-necked. Stubborn. Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think soberly. He says, we say by the grace given unto us, to every one of you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. Pardon any typos. We, this is how we beat stubbornness and pride now. Last few minutes here. How do we beat stubbornness and pride? Change how you think. Renew your mind. Pinpoint where your thinking is arrogant. Pinpoint where you're in arrogance. Is it over an intellectual ability? Is it over your looks? Is it over your refusal to apologize? Is it over your refusal to change? Something we've said this morning will pinpoint where we are stubborn and obstinate. Is it double down and say, you're not going to get me to do that. That's pride and stubbornness. Is it, you know, be a cold day in hell before I do that. Why would you even think that way? Or, that's just Pastor Chris. That's stubbornness. That's just Pastor Chris is what every Jew said before they killed their prophets. That's just Elijah. That's just Nahum. That's just Ezekiel. That's just Jeremiah. Shut that guy up. That's just Paul. Now, I'm not saying I'm an Old Testament prophet or a New Testament apostle at all, but they killed their prophets. Stubbornness. Change how you think. Renew your mind to the Word of God. That's what verse 2 actually says in this. Romans 1, uh, 12, 1 and 2. How do we beat pride and stubbornness? Number one, you've got to change how you think. Renew your mind. Build an infrastructure in your mind based on the Bible. Build a net of checks and balances of safety gates and mechanisms that won't let you go or do dumb things. Constantly judge yourself. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Number two, humble yourself through prayer. How do we beat pride? We humble ourselves through prayer. What does that look like? Father, show me where I'm prideful. Show me where I'm arrogant. We ought to all pray that on a regular basis. Show me the pride of my life. Show me the arrogance. Show me where I'm stubborn. Show me where I'm obstinate. And let me walk in humility. Father, may I, may I be the most humble person I've, I've met. And I don't mean that as a joke. Let me walk in humility and meekness. Let me receive correction from anybody and everybody. Let me receive correction from the person that gets on my nerves the most, the least qualified person. Let me be open. Father, may there be nothing that can possibly humiliate me. Let me walk in your humility. Let me have the mind of Christ. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. That's a command, which means it's obeyable. Number three, cut away the stubbornness with prayer. There, there's nothing we can do outwardly to fix this. It's all a matter of Christian discipleship, prayer and study. It's all fixed with the words of our mouth. It's all fixed with time in God's presence. We speak to mountains. That's one of our doctrines is we have authority. This is the biggest mountain we face right now is the mountain of pride and stubbornness. We speak to it. I curse it. I curse pride out of my life. I curse stubbornness. I curse arrogance. Father, may I, I call myself humble. You got to pray yourself there. Lord, may I walk in humility and meekness. May I humble myself. Your word commands me to humble myself. May I get there, Lord. May I get there, O oh Lord. Cut away the stubbornness with prayer. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. That's a reference to a thick, calloused coating over something that is tender and sensitive to God. When you are prideful and stubborn, you are not tender or sensitive to God. Critical people are not tender or sensitive. Prideful people are not tender or sensitive. You might get asked, folks, 
Are you held in reputation for being tender and sensitive and gracious? Are you held in reputation for being some other way? Because we ought to all be held in some reputation for being merciful and compassionate. We don't all have a reputation of being compassionate. We don't all have a reputation of being tender. Some of us have a reputation of being very critical, very arrogant, very driven, very hoity-toity, very annoyed, very, oh, I know it all. You've got to figure out what your reputation is and then get to cutting that foreskin away. Second Chronicles 38, Neither be ye stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary. Number four, just yield yourself to God. Quit telling him how, uh, God how it's going to be. Submit to him. And notice the last part, go to church. Enter into his sanctuary. Go to church more than you think you can. Going to church is forced humility because you've got to set aside your time, your schedule. You've got to drop your excuses and your laziness. You've got to make the commute. And getting to the house of God is a sacrifice for some of you. Some of us, it's just autopilot. Our car just automatically drives here. You forget where you're going in town. You're like, church, how did I get here? Where am I supposed to be? This isn't Walmart. I got busy praying and got to church. It's Tuesday morning. <laughs> Others, you know, it's Sunday morning. Your car wants to go somewhere else, to the lake. Your car just wants to sleep in like you. Stay in the garage where it's warm and comfy. You got to train that car. You ought to all hurry up and buy a Tesla, and I'll program what that car needs to do. It'll drive here without you. Your car's here, but there you're not. Well, the car says, I'm going to obey God. I'm, I'm making that rapture you keep talking about. I hear your CDs on the, on the dash. I'm going to make that thing. Yield yourself to God. Quit telling God how it's going to be. He doesn't care how you want it to be. He's God. You ought to be thankful he even acknowledges you. <laughs> Last point. Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked, that's stubborn, and uncircumcised in heart, that's stubborn and prideful, and ears. So you've got to be circumcised in your ears, too. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Last point, quit resisting the Holy Ghost. How do we beat pride and stubbornness? Quit quenching the Spirit of God to do what you want. Quit trying to shoehorn your little destiny into God's plan because it's like hammering a square peg into a round hole. It won't fit. It's just going to make friction and splinters. Quit resisting the Holy Ghost. Say, Lord, I submit. Lord, I submit. I submit my job to you. I submit my family to you. I submit my relationships to you. I submit my health to you. I submit my appetites. I submit my money. I submit my time. It's a hard standard, but one man told me 25 years ago, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And we can acknowledge that and say, that's good, but it doesn't mean it's the truth for us. It doesn't mean it's working in us. Because when you keep having these little compartments that you know you're purposely hiding from God, he's not Lord of your life. You still are. Because if you let him in, you know he's going to burn half of what you got on the altar of sacrifice. And you don't want that smell but it's a sweet-smelling savor to him. Amen.